Well, good morning. Everybody doing well? Well, good. My name is Adam. I'm the lead pastor here at Element Church. We're excited that you're here with us to worship. And it's a beautiful weekend. The weather's great. As always, I've said this the last couple of weeks, college football is in full swing. My Cowboys won yesterday. Makes it a good weekend. Hopefully the Broncos can keep this going uh, this morning. Um, so really excited that you're here and excited about what God's going to do this morning uh, and what we have coming up. I think um, we have got some really cool things planned for our church for the upcoming weeks and months and really excited uh, about what's coming. And so we'll talk more about that towards the end of the service and how you can be involved and a part of it. Um, but I'm just overall, I'm just excited and uh, I hope you are too and, and just excited for God to speak to you. Now, I don't know about you, um, but have you ever had somebody take credit for the work that you've done? Um, maybe it's happened like in your actual workplace. You worked hard, um, put together something, you, you, you created a structure or system, uh, but somebody else got the credit, or at least maybe somebody else got the promotion or the raise um, that really was, was yours. Have you, ever, have you ever had that? Like you put in so much work and energy. Um, I know I have, that's why I hated group projects in college. Like hated group projects um, for a number of reasons. First of all, I got my degree in sociology. We call that the social sciences, which all the people in, in the physical sciences called fake science. And um, and so we would study social realities, um, situations in our environment or in relationships and, and use a scientific method to develop a, a hypothesis, do some experiments, or for us, it was generally research and surveys, uh, and, and then draw your conclusions from that. And, uh, and, and so for the social sciences, there's not a lot of tests you take in class. Right. Your intro classes, you got to learn, you know, who's founded sociology, who all did this stuff. There's a few tests, but for the most part, it's it's all subjective. Right. There's a lot of work involved, but there's not really always a right or wrong answer, Um, which is great if you like uh, that world. If you like to write, I love writing. And so it's a great degree because you do a lot of writing, Um, but it attracts a certain kind of group of people, that kind of degree. First of all, it, it, number one, it attracts people like me who love to research and write. Um, another group of people it attracts is people who don't like tests and love the fact that there aren't right and wrong answers, um, albeit athletes. And so, um, and so I, I don't want to throw them all under the bus, but I can't tell you how many times I'm sitting in a sociology class. Um, uh, that One particular time, my sophomore year, this guy walks in, and this is a while ago, but on his belt, he had a pager and two cell phones. And I'm like, seriously? Um, and which is funny because they were attached to his belt. I don't know why he had a belt because his pants were about to fall off. But he walks in, and he sits down right next to me. And um, it was the first day of class, so I lean over, introduce myself. How are you? Hey, you know, this is my name. This is my name. Um, okay. And then the professor stands up and puts us in groups. What sociology professors always do and something I always hate because it always ends up meaning I'm going to do a lot of work that everyone will get credit for because um, I'm type A and I want an A. And so um, so we get assigned to a group and I get assigned to this guy's group. I don't know how the groups worked out. And so we get in our groups and I'm like, hey, man, I'm really sorry. I, I forgot your name. What was your name again? And he gives me this look like, you don't remember my name? 
which at first I was like, sorry, is the first day of class like this is our second. I didn't realize he was giving me that look because I should have known who he was. Now, when when he makes the game winning shot in the Elite Eight and we make it to the final four uh, in March Madness later that year, when he ends up getting drafted in the NBA. Now I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. now that's why I was supposed to know who you are. But uh, but it, this is this happened all the time in, in our sociology classes, just because there's a lot of subjectivity. Um, that same day we get done with our groups, we sit back down. This guy's cell phone goes off and he opens it and and then. You know, this was back when, like, there weren't, like, screens. So he flips it open. He answers it, gets up, and walks out, and walks in front of the professor who's teaching and just, like, walks right out. And she acts like nothing happened. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Um, but that was the world that, that I lived in. And so I hated group projects for that reason. Because you put in all this energy and effort, but the attention gets put on somebody else. Or, or at least other people get credit for a lot of the work that you do. And we're actually going to see an instance in scripture that's very similar to that today. And so we're continuing our series in the Gospel of John and we'll be in chapter 3. Now we're going to be in Gospel of John chapter 3 today and we're going to do it next week and then we're going to take a break from the Gospel of John uh, and do some different things. And we'll talk about that at the end of the service today. Um, so John chapter 3, and I'm going to start in verse 22. And this is actually what we covered last week. I'm not going to re-preach it, but we're going to start there. So it says this, After this, Jesus and his disciples was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim, because we put in prison. So last week, that was our text for the week. And we talked about this, and we spent all his baptism. Um, what do we believe and teach about it at Element Church? How do we baptism? What does it mean? Um, is it something that you should do or consider doing? Uh, what a baby and you were sprinkled? And we talked all different kinds of aspects of baptism uh, development church. Now, if you weren't here last week, my encouragement is if this is something your life of our church or in the life of an individual, my encouragement is to you is to go back and listen. And so you can go to our website. And there's a section of sermons, and you can listen to it off our website. You can questions about that, because I'm not going to re-preach it today. Uh, my encouragement is for you to go back and do, or it's something that I'm interested in. Um, then we can go from there. That's a great starting point. Connection card, the one that's either in your seat or the one next to you. On the back of it is a box that you can check in SISM, and we can go from there. So let's, let's move on into our text for today and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with him to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase. I mean, excuse me. Yes, he must increase parts of this text that I think will speak to each one of us this morning. So jump Bibles and a Jew over purification. Now here's what we don't know. We don't know really what the dispute was. Now, John, the author, doesn't really tell us. And that's okay. There's no need for us to... The reality is there was a dispute. There was a discussion. There was a debate, which happens in all... A picture of the, the characters at play. So you have John the Baptist, who is different. So anytime you hear or read about John in the Gospel of John, it's about John the Baptist, two different guys. And a certain Jew, we don't know who uh, he or she was or what this had disciples. People who were there to, to listen to their teaching, to follow their teaching. 
It's some of John's disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, a Jew, and then eventually verse 26. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across going to him. Uh, So here's we start to get a bigger picture. Now, at least we get a picture of what they're concerned about, what they don't. Do you not realize that after all these years, after all this ministry, after all this teaching, who has been baptized by you, who you have influenced and changed their life, to the river. You remember the one who used to, you were hanging out with? Remember the one that you talked? If you were with us, this was a number of months ago, but we were in John chapter 1. If we go back to John, that's John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the lamp after me, excuse me, comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me, that he might be revealed to Israel. John, when he first saw Jesus, when they this is the one who I was sent here, my ministry was to prepare all of you and your the disciples and this Jew, the disciples of John and some particular Jew, come up to him and it's it's just an honorary title, um, almost like a after all that you've done, after all the work that you've put in. What we do know about John the Baptist is that he was homeless. That he ate like he lived in the wild. And notice what it says, uh, one that starts in verse 22, even though that's not our text for today. Notice this little parent. John the author is writing, right? Hindsight's twenty twenty. Looking back, he already knows what's, he knows what's going to happen to the disciples. Like John is writing from the perspective after the resurrection. What he knows is, not only has John been through a lot, John's about to go through a lot. The man in charge of him will not know what to do because he wants to dictator in his day. Not afraid to even call out local kings and rulers and for the sin in their life. And eventually he's arrested him. There'll be, a, there'll be a mob. Everyone loves him. He's very popular. Has a birthday party. And during this birthday party, so fired up and in such a crazy, fanatical, sexual frenzy. She's a young girl. She doesn't know what to ask for. So she goes and she asks her mom, what should, what should I ask for? Get of John's critical political commentary. And she says, drunkenness of a party. This girl comes before all the people and says, declared whatever she wanted she could have in front of all of these people, all the aristocrats. This ministry will end up costing John the Baptist his life. Is now giving us the story. These disciples of John and uh, all the work that you've put in, all the sacrifices you've made, you and going to him. Everyone else is going to, You've been preaching, and now they're all going to follow him. It says that he answered in verse 27. John answered, a person cannot receive. You know, when you and I get into a dispute, um, it's to win, right? Now, we take different aims. Sometimes we personality. Sometimes we win by tearing down the other person's argument, or maybe even our objective is to win, is to or, or to justify ourselves. Right? John's first response is, anything that we have, we should be content with what we have. Rather than looking at what everyone else has, 
A person cannot receive one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The voice. Now this is, at least in my thought, is a strange way to respond to this dispute. To follow him. All the work you've done. All the hearts and lives that you've impacted. Don't you know that the bride belongs to the bridegroom? Which today we would say, now I've been in ministry for a while now, more than a decade. I've done a lot of weddings and a lot of funerals. I was a full-time pastor when I was 19. And uh, there's a lot of intimidation about the Bible. And I'm going to speak truth and life into you. But I don't really understand life. right? I'm just kind of figuring out the whole real world and how it works. And, and there are a lot of intimidating things than weddings and funerals. Those are brutal. Funerals are always... And an older man, when I first got into ministry who had just recently retired from in our local town, but even though I worked for a different church. And I just, I don't know. Help me, equip me to do ministry better. And he gave me some, and it was okay to be me, that I didn't need to be some image that people expect of a pastor. People life, um, I just needed to know how to point people to the Bible. So he gave me a lot of good advice. He told me one day when we were talking about weddings. So he was walking me through. These are things that you need to do for a wedding. Prepared for this or that. And he says, let me tell you about what your number one goal is in a wedding. He said, your number one goal as a pastor in a wedding is to make sure no one remembers anything you say. I'm supposed to say everything. That's, I'm supposed to say all the important stuff. Even the, no, 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 no. No one should remember what you say. Because if they do, it's because you said something dumb right? They come to see the bride and the groom. The preacher's job, everyone was really there to see. My job is to just walk us through this. If someone remembers me, it's probably because I messed up. Now, but I came to realize, and fortunately, I never had to make the mistake. I finally just realized this guy knows what he's doing. Because no one goes to the wedding to see a preacher, and no one goes to the wedding. The only time you notice them is when they do something wrong. When a groom, right? So part of my job as the preacher in the wedding is to train people how to stand in front of crowds. So I got to teach people, this is how you stand. This is how you ensure that you don't. So no one is there to see or should ever notice these other players. Ceremony. We're really there to see the bride and the groom. And this is the... The bride really belongs to the groom, over throughout the Bible, the Old Testament and the New, God's people, His church. In the end, when Jesus returns to finish what He started, there will be something called church as a groom is met with and united with His bride. This teaching on marriage, I've used it in a number of weddings. And after five, I'm going to only read you a portion of it. We'll start in verse 20. Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her that he might sanctify so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. They're one flesh. And then this is this is the kicker. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, her husband, we didn't read it, but there's a section on wives too. 
before verse 25. Wives and wives serving and respecting their husbands in this mutual self-sacrificing attitude. In the end, Paul says, I really wasn't talking about marriage. In the end, however, it applies to marriage too. Repeat says here the bride belongs to her groom. We are. And then second half of verse 29 back in John 3. Bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. It, you hold the rings. You plan the party. You help calm his nerves in whatever way he needs. In the same way, uh, the maid or matron of honor is there to serve. John says, it's the friend of the groom on behalf of the groom. To be excited for your friend who's to his bride. It's my job to celebrate and facilitate that into the discussion. And has placed himself in the position of the friend of the groom. Is that everyone is leaving you and going to Jesus. And he says, there to honor the groom and to do what he needs. And it's united. Christ is the groom. We as the church are the bride of Christ. And then as a part of the best man's role. If everyone is now leaving me to go to him. If the bride joy is made complete. It is fulfilled. And then he ends with this statement. Now in the Christian world. We marks and whatever other cheesy paraphernalia that we like to use in the Christian world. We love discussed and used in the context of spiritual growth and maturity. In row, in your knowledge and maturity, and you read the Bible and you develop a prayer. As you grow and develop, we love verse thirty that this idea is true. In your life, Jesus should increase. That's not what this verse is about. It's not about spiritual growth and maturity, even though I think it's the right idea, but the wrong scripture. That's not what this one's about. He's in your own heart and life and mind. Christ should increase and you should decrease. Every time Christ would want you to do rather than what you would want to do. This verse is about intention. Attention. It's complete. In all the credit, in all the... I should decrease. Unto Christ. This is about when people look at you, they see being more intentional about turning people towards Jesus. This is an answer in response to the question, John, don't you realize you've paid? Everyone's going to Him. The bride should be united with her groom. And as decrease, I should decrease. Is, is that process taking place in your life? That they're continually turning as Jesus increases of your life. That the attention in your life is more and more being directed at Jesus despite all the sacrifices you've made, despite the... Is Christ increasing? Or are you sacrifices you've made? Or are you now deflecting to Him? 
And it's your job to make sure Jesus and his church unite. To make to Jesus. And you're just there to facilitate, to make sure everything goes so that in the end, what matters most, everyone's attention is on the bride and the groom. And every day and every way is Jesus increasing. Will you pray with me? Moment, and in this place, that you would receive. That to be honest, it doesn't matter how much work I put in, that Jay or Trina put in to worship preparation. We would celebrate you. Would you do that in this church? If you will, keep your eyes closed, your heads bowed. Just And the reflective question remains to Jesus in your life. Regardless of how much work you put in and how many sacrifices union between Christ and His church, between the... I'm going to guess that all of you probably have in your mind a certain... So I do that at work. Some of you are thinking about a particular relationship. I do. I just want you to be vulnerable and open to God speaking to you this morning. To Jesus. Is there a place where you're not helping to facilitate Christ? And if not, why? What is it? And maybe this morning you would just be open and honest and asking Jesus to be more prominent. Committing Jesus. Jesus, thank you that you have shown all of us husbands what it really means to love sacrifice. That you've laid down your life for your bride. Jesus, we want to submit to you, serve you, follow you. Would you speak to our hearts? Now as we enter into a time of reflection and prayer and speak in these moments.